What's happening, Reraw listeners? A quick announcement ahead of today's formal show introduction. This episode is very specially dedicated to my guest, Steph, and her father. Steph and her family were recently impacted by a terribly debilitating and rare disease known as necrotizing fasciitis, and after hearing Steph's story and how she pushed through this horrific journey and used her business to help, I think you'll understand why she's committed to raising awareness about this terrible disease. If you're interested in learning more, or perhaps you feel compelled to make a donation to the continued research on how we can combat this aggressive disease, please visit Steph's show notes at www.reraw.com forward slash Steph. You can click on the link. You can get taken directly to the National Necrotizing Fasciitis Foundation's website, and everything else you'll need is right there. Again, it's reraw.com forward slash S-T-E-P-H. And by the time this episode is done, I'm personally challenging you to put down your excuses. If that scares you, well, turn this off right now. Because on this first ramble session, we're going deep. Looking to take you and your real estate business to the next level? You're in the right place. Laying foundations for real estate success? This is the No Fluff, No BS podcast about real estate for real estate agents and other industry professionals looking to up their game. Unfiltered short form sales meetings, interviews with agents from every walk of life, and ramble sessions about everything real estate. Welcome to a new mindset. You are listening to Reraw. And now, introducing your host, James Hoff. What's happening, real estate world? We are joined today on our first official ramble session. We got Steph Sanzada here with us. Steph is a professional inside sales rep. She's kind of a, she's kind of a unicorn. Like she's, she is just like that person who loves getting down and dirty on the phones, cold calling, going crazy. And I couldn't think of anybody better to, uh, to ramble on with than Steph. So we're going to just dive into conversations and see where it goes to plug you quick. Steph is the proud owner of a company called Infinity Appointments. You can find her at infinityappointments.com. I highly recommend you check her out. I've worked with Steph before and uh, excited to keep that train going. What's happening? What's up, bro? How you doing? And I'm a rainbow unicorn, by the way. Just wanted to get that out there. I'm more unique than any unicorn. I'm a rainbow unicorn. Rainbow unicorn. I like rainbow unicorns. So there's just like all kinds of fun stuff that we could ramble about from trolling social media to talking about some of the crazy bullshit out there and uh, in the war stories and all that. And I just figured for fun because you cold call like all day and you just probably hear the best of the best and the absolute worst of the worst. Can you share like your favorite shittiest cold call that you've made? My favorite shittiest cold call that I ever made was a lady that I was trying to close for an appointment. And I asked her, I said, um, I was like, all right, so, so you're agreeing to meet with the agent. Like what day do you want him to come out? I mean, can he come out maybe tomorrow or the next day? And she said, no, um, no, he, he, he can't come out tomorrow or, or the next day because uh, I've got to clean up. And I said, okay, so why don't we schedule it like, you know, two weeks out and we'll book the time, you know, a little, little, little ways down the road. I'll have them confirm with you, whatever. The lady said, oh no, no, no. It's not two weeks. Mm -mm. Not enough for me to clean. And I thought to myself, how dirty, 
how dirty is your house? Yeah. Like, how many cats are in the walls? <laughs> you know? like, two weeks is a long time. Um, the other one that I can tell you, this was a crazy story. I heard a story of a tenant, and I'll leave the, the place I was call or the territory that I was calling, I'll leave ambiguous because this agent that I work for knows it was in her list, and I don't want to disclose anything that shouldn't be disclosed, disclosed, disclosable, but I talked to a seller once who was an expired seller, and he had tenants, and the tenants, well, he went through eviction with them the first time he tried to put the house on the market. So he, the day of their actual eviction, they lit his house on fire, and he couldn't prove it. The thing burned to the ground. He had to rebuild his whole house. Legit. Like. Oh, that's awful. And then put it on the market. Isn't that awful? Oh, man. That is. Uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> I that was. That was I, I have one more. I have one more. It's really random. Yeah. Some guy told me he had a pet lion. <laughs> no way. He had a lion in his backyard. Yeah. Do they make? Do they even make signs for that shit? Beware of. He that. was in Las Vegas, so I feel that anything happens in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, and anything that goes in that backyard probably stays there too. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. I'm excited for these ramble sessions. I'm excited for more interviews. Excited for all this stuff because it's amazing how many stories everybody has. And if you start putting so many. together, it's like you can you can understand every situation. So are, are you seeing, are you feeling, you're on the other side of the country from Europe and New York. Are you feeling like when you talk to agents that there's just, are we getting like in a position across the country where there's just more excuses coming out? The I'm busies and the I'm too good for this and I don't have time and you know. Oh boy. You know, they, they always will have an excuse for something, some, some reason. You know, uh, I actually read one of our local agents here in Rochester was writing about how they had put in a bid on a house like one of her clients had put in a bid on a house and you know the agents don't even respond to let you know if you even got the bid on the house they just accept whatever offer and never say anything ever again and she's like you know at the very least you could write us back and just tell us like hey thank you for the offer and you know sorry you know we didn't take it or something like that um, they never even get back to the buyers in our market to even tell them that they've accepted an offer and I don't even understand. It's really, no, I, I don't I know. Clients, clients, like I, 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 like if you're the agent on the other side of that, you're on the receiving end of it. What a shitty position yeah. to be put in by a colleague because you've got your own client that you have to answer to. Right. Who probably thinks you're full of it now because you're just like, yeah, sorry, I haven't heard anything. And they probably just think, are you lazy? Are you not calling? Or is this real? That sucks. Are you, do, yeah. do you hear in like the conversations that you have with agents, do you hear a certain excuse or a, a trend, uh, a kind of a, an attitude of entitlement somewhere that is more consistent than other things? Agents entitled? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, they, they are entitled. They're very entitled, you know, like, um, I think you you know a little bit about my personal situation over the last couple of months. We've had a couple of conversations and, you know, I, I was going through a lot of stuff with my dad being very, very sick. And we had a client actually tried to tell me, um, first of all, 
one of them wanted a refund just because they didn't like FISBOs. They sent us a bunch of FISBOs to call on and set appointments for, and that agent just didn't, she wanted a refund because she, she got nine appointments and maybe half of them were FISBOs and the other half of them were expired. And she was like, I hate FISBOs. And I think I need a refund. I'm like, you sent us those leads. So I don't know why you're, we're calling on what you gave us. So I don't know why you're yelling at me, number one. Number two, we had another agent try to tell me during this time that she's a single mom and, you know, she wouldn't, she wouldn't continue to work with us because she said she's a single mom and she just, she can't afford it anymore. And we were trying to uh, kind of supplement some lost ground as a company that we had because of my dad's illness and my absence. And we were trying to work with her and she refused to work with us because she's a single mom and it's just too hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So single mom uh, has an excuse and probably has more necessity or reason to need the business in some ways, right? Unless they divorced Rip. Yeah. And they got a lot of money coming to them, but uh, you know, so single parent probably has a need for it, and they're full of excuses. So, did you feel like did you feel like that lady was riding the like was she was she riding like the woe is me train? Was she riding like the oh I'm so sorry? I mean, we sorry for me. We ended up reimbursing her, but yes, I I kind of do feel like you know if you had even uh, the slightest idea about how brutal what. I had been going through was and you know the fact that I'm still trying to work with you and still generating leads and like literally my world was just like falling down around me and I wasn't trying to use it as an excuse to get out of doing things I simply was trying to keep people informed that they didn't um they didn't think that I just left them hanging you know <laughs> like, like I, was just, I was trying to communicate as best I could it was definitely a unique situation so um you know it was it's hard because I think people use their kids and their dogs and stuff as an excuse, like not to do their work. And like, I have pets, I don't have kids, but you know, I know your kids are a priority, but it's like, there's so many part-time agents and stuff like that. that are kind of half it in the business. And then like they use their kids as the excuse. And I think that's kind of shameful, you know, that they do that because it's not your kid's fault, you know, that you're not putting in the effort. You could find somebody to, pick them up or to do whatever um i'm sure you could if you really wanted to you could work it out i guess that's what i'm saying like there's a big difference between like you have somebody with a physical medical emergency that you got to deal with in the moment versus like you know nobody's there to pick timmy up from soccer like you could have arranged that yesterday i'm sure you know like so i want to jump into something with you and and i know you already know where this is going kind of getting into some of the personal side of things um, and I want, I want to just, I want to preface something. If, if you're comfortable with me going down this route, are we good? Yeah. All right. So I want to preface something to the listeners here. Um, I've known Steph now for a few years. In fact, I've known, I think I've known you probably for about four or four and a half years. And then I reconnected yeah. unexpectedly a couple years back. And, uh, Steph and I not have only have had a professional relationship, but, uh, we, I, you know, I feel like we've really developed a friendship that's been amazing. And Steph's been going through some personal stuff, as she alluded to already, over the the past few months that uh, I, I really can't even put into words. And before we get into this with Steph, the reason I wanted to ramble with her today uh, is not is this is not about good radio or good podcast or good whatever. Um, 
there's something that's really that's really real in the world, which is, you know, life happens and and we have to continue. Uh, it, you have to have your priorities straight and you have to be able to, you know, manage yourself and take care of what's important. But the world doesn't stop because you're going through shit. And the reason I wanted to ramble with Steph is because um, it, it, it selfishly, I wanted to kind of pull this out of her. And I appreciate her transparency, uh, even just in our friendship, because what she's been going through is just unbelievable. And if there's any message that you get from today, I just want you to understand that if you've been walking around with excuses and holding on to it and letting it affect your business, letting it take away from your, your financial fortune and future, or letting it impact relationships in your personal life with your family or whatever you got going, whatever excuses you're carrying with you are bullshit. And I'm just going to say that ahead of doing this little intro to Steph here because her story that you're about to hear is not only incredibly personal, but it's about as real and raw as it gets. And she has found a way through and she's still working through it, but she never stopped. And I had the privilege of uh, being around her through this and uh, it's pretty fascinating. So I want to say thank you ahead of even you opening your mouth about all this because I know it's crazy. Um, But I'm wondering if you'd be willing to open up a little bit more uh, in as much or little detail as you'd like or are willing to give uh, about what you've actually been going through, what's happened, uh, what happened with your pop and and how you got through. So we're just going to see where we go. And and this is where this, uh, this is where the Jameson comes in handy. Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've had my I've had my fair share of those those uh, those little little Jamesons in my life. Um, well, you know, first I think I want to backtrack to before my dad got sick because the the preface to what was going on and the the stuff that was going on um, in my business and personal life right before that kind of like it was just like you know you remember like when Hurricane Harvey was hitting and like there were like four hurricanes in the Gulf Coast and they were all going like at once on the map on the weather map that was kind of like what my life looked like for the better part of four four or five months um you know I was in business as a sole proprietor I had an off I had had offers and offers and offers from other agents to partner into my company and for one reason or another I kind of just scanned over them. Uh, I had one business partner. He's a great guy. I will not say anything bad about him, but um, for one circumstance or another, uh, he had invested with us and then he had to un- invest. I don't know if this is the right word, divest, invest. I don't know what the word is. He had to basically leave our company and it was mutual. It was okay. It was a fine thing, but um, we had had some employees that one employee of ours had left and, and actually tried to take a client from us. Another employee of ours just kind of wasn't, you know, he just wasn't giving it his, his what I felt like was his everything. Um, going into the holiday, I ended up passing two kidney stones, <laughs> which was like super. I had two kidney stones. Essentially, the entire team had left me, but my I did not have a problem with it because I was there long before them, and I thought I'd be there long after. And my business partner had a, had, had a relative that was sick, and he pulled out, and um, he had to go his own his own direction, and that was fine. 
Um, I just said, I'll, okay, I'll take it back. I had these kidney stones. I thought I was dying. I went to the hospital. Three or four days later, um, I had met, <laughs> crazy too, um, I found out I had a half sister this year, and um, it was through like Ancestry or something. They give you those like swab kits, you know, and it was through my dad's side of the family. So I found out I have a half sister. Um, she kind of came out of the blue in September, and we were supposed to meet on January 1st. And I'll tell you why this is relevant. It's relevant because she's on my dad's side of the family. My dad and I had uh, had uh, lunch with her, and that was essentially the last time that I saw my dad um, was the first time that Sarah had ever met him. My sister had ever met him. It was the last time that I had seen my dad. Um, I had just gone out of the hospital with kidney stones. I just passed my kidney stones and we're at breakfast with my half sister. And three days later, it was about 1130 at night. I was just kind of winding down, had a glass of wine and watching Netflix thinking, thank God, like I am I can breathe, right? 11.30 at night, I get a phone call from his girlfriend saying that he had tremendous leg pain and that she was taking him to the ICU, um, or taking him to emergency, rather. And he ended up having something called necrotizing fasciitis. Now, we entered the, the emergency room. You know, we really didn't understand. He was in extreme pain. He was literally like in the fetal position. This is a 54-year-old man who was playing full court basketball the week before that this happened. I'm 27, you know, so I'm a fairly young entrepreneur. Um, and, you know, bad enough to have a parent in the ICU, but then when they told us exactly what it was that he had, necrotizing fasciitis is basically like a flesh-eating bacteria. And what it does to you is essentially it eats away at your tissues and it rots you kind of like from the inside out. So the only way that they, I don't want to say the only way, there's another way that I found later and we'll talk about that. But the only way that most hospitals are treating this right now is that they do what's called debridement where they're taking away the tissues and they're taking away as much of the infected area as they can on the person. So my dad they started to take away his tissues and they ended up taking away muscle that was infected. Um, he had 26 surgeries. He, here's a man that was like totally well. We were at lunch one day. They don't know how he picked it up. You can get it from things as small as um, a pimple or an ingrown hair or a paper cut, or maybe you scraped your knee in the dirt. If you're immunocompromised or you just, I don't know, you get, get into some, some dirt that just had it and, it finds it's uh, an opportunistic way to get into your skin. Uh, it will it will forge its path, and nobody really knows how he picked it up. Um, and they started doing this debridement. So first they started taking his tissues, then they started taking his muscles, then they started taking hamstrings, and then the surgeon sat me down and said, um, "You know, listen, we're going to have to amputate his leg above the knee." And then a few weeks later, uh, they said they got a not even a few weeks, maybe like about a week later, they said, we can't put skin grafts in and close up his his thigh like we thought we could. So we're going to have to take his leg from the hip. And we think that that will save his life. If it's life or limb, it comes down to life. And when we went in there, I just had a sense that this was much more serious than we thought it was. And I had sat his family down and, you know, before they started to talk about amputations even and saying like, hey, um, you know, this is this is serious. I don't know how it's going to impact his quality of life. Uh, this bacteria, just to give you an idea, James, it, it spreads so fast. It moves an inch an hour in every direction, literally, from where it starts. 
an inch an hour. And he thought he had the flu. So when he um, started to get sick, he was home from work. He thought he had the flu. Then he had this extreme leg pain and it moved so quickly. And the time that he was in the ER, it moved down his leg and then it came up his backside and ended up coming up his back uh, within the day and crossing the surgeon thought he got it all and he didn't. And it came up his back, it crossed his spine and went up his other flank. So it literally covered the majority of his back, the majority of his leg. He had these open wounds and when they were debriding it and trying to get ahead of the bacteria, you know, essentially it's not just what the disease does in itself, but also what it does to your organs. It is a very antibiotic resistant bacteria. Um, so you are at the top of the chain with all the antibiotics, which are doing tons of damage to that person's organs. It, the antibiotics literally pushed him into multi-system organ dysfunction. Every time they took him to the ER, it was a guessing game. So he did 26 surgeries and two or three of which um, we were not sure if he was actually going to survive it or not. It seemed like uh, one one night, I think at about 1.30, I had to call my entire family down there because we thought, you know, he was going. They, they were saying he was coding and it was getting bad and we get up there because they weren't sure if he was going to make it. Um, 26 surgeries com combined in 10 weeks is what he had to treat this. And um, now hold on. essentially, yeah. Okay. So give me timeline. You had kidney stones in September? No, I had them over Christmas. Okay. So but this all started with with partnerships and like a little bit of chaos kind of happening with the business at, at when was it again? In September, October? And then Yeah, it, so like your health issue. Like in, in December everything happened. Like okay. literally my partnership fell apart, the team left, I had kidney stones, and then I had lunch with my dad and my half sister, and then three days later he was in the ICU. Okay. So I wanna so pause for a minute. We all have different relationships with family, friends, whatever. The relationship yeah. you had with your dad when he went into the hospital. And what like what was your dad's world like aside from that he was playing basketball before? I mean, does dad have a pile of money under the mattress that like how is how is basically how is he supporting himself through this financially cuz let's be honest the 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 big burden immediately goes, Oh crap, how am I going to pay for this after you survive? Right. And then you go, well, then you, what is your relationship is, do you have other close family members that are helping care? Like how does all this fit into your world? So I have a huge Italian family, but not all of them are helpful. <laughs> um, it's essentially, he had uh, a live-in girlfriend who was not contributing, but a couple hundred dollars a month towards towards rent. She was essentially, to me, she was living there for like almost free. Um, and in terms of his assets and stuff, like we really didn't know if he was going to make it out of the hospital. If he was going to make it out, he was going to be severely disabled. And at the time, I had to kind of take on the burdens of actually his. My dad, he only ever made you know, he was a, a working man. He was a blue collar working man who worked in a factory his whole life. Uh, and he certainly, I think, in, in my opinion, um, wanted to live a certain way. And he had a lot of toys. You know, he had his 
he had boats and, and trucks and motorcycles and he didn't have a will which made things extremely hard um, because he didn't have a will I couldn't get access into a lot of his accounts so what I ended up having to play this game of running around and trying to figure out what was coming in the mail and trying to deposit money where I could deposit money um, first I prioritized it with his house and then everything else that came afterwards you know um, because for but a you didn't have you didn't have communication with him because of all the surgeries and like, he yeah, we didn't get to talk at, like literally the night he went in there, he was writhing in pain. He labeled me his healthcare proxy verbally. They swept him off for a CT scan, which I have a lot of commentary on because I don't believe it was really the best. I, if you can see the bacteria, I've, I've read articles where it's like they can see the bacteria moving on a person that they should just take them to surgery and not do a, a CT, but they made him sit and, and drink contrast and push him to CT. It took like three hours. It probably cost him his life. I mean, that's really the way I see it. Um, but in the meantime, while all this is going on, you know, he had every, because of how intense this bacteria is, the bacteria itself and what it did to his leg, he had orthopedics, plastic surgery, um, vascular surgery because it's a vascular disease so he was admitted under a vascular attending in the hospital and then he had if i could list nephrology because his kidneys were failing um cardiology uh respiratory therapy they had a physical therapist coming in to visit him which wasn't too big of a deal but literally every type of doctor infectious disease the icu team and the burn unit they had all these different teams there were probably eight teams and every team was calling me every day with something else they were not all on the same page i literally had to drive them like it was another company like it was its own company because there were so many teams it was like watching Grey's anatomy you think you never think that this is going to happen to somebody in your immediate family something so insidious and something that just you know, it's so sudden and you were without words that it was actually like, where did he even get it? We don't know. We will never really know the most um, we ever really got to talk in the hospital. He was still on a lot of drugs and, you know, um, he just kept telling me he wanted to go home. That was uh, the only real dialogue that we got in the hospital was that he wanted to, to go home. And there were just so many different departments of the hospital and they were doing crazy stuff. Like he was having bad reactions to anesthesia. Then they'd book him for two procedures in a day that required anesthesia. And I'd be like, you guys are killing him. What are you doing? Like cut it out, you know? And they're calling me night and day. And then I've got my entire family wanting to know what the hell is going on. And I designated one person to contact me. And of course, like everybody wants to hear it from me. Nobody wants to use the contact person. Everybody's got to blow my phone up. So I've got the team, my family, I'm trying to take care of his bills. Um, recently his girlfriend's been squatting in the house because my dad ended up after this long battle passing away, which was a whole other ordeal in itself. And it, it was just literally 10 weeks of scary phone calls, um, last, you know, wake up calls in the middle of the night, you know, that he was crashing, that people needed to get down there and then trying to communicate everything with the family. There was a lot of arguing going on about what to do in terms of his quality of life and, whether or not we were making the right decisions for him. And the doctors were really flying by the seat of their pants, which is what was making this so hard because one day he would be on the up and up. And then the next day he would be, you know, having the worst day he's ever had. So we had to play it minute to minute every second. I mean, it's just the only way we could do it. So can I remind yeah. for a minute? 
Sure. Go ahead. Let's go. Let's go back before you knew dad was going into the hospital. Yeah. We've all dealt with health issues. I mean, we all have our, our little bouts with our shit. It takes out a commission for a few days or a week, or we're kind of off. We're in a funk. Um, not everybody's gone through, you know, losing a business partner or things of that nature, but you had before dad went into the hospital, which I know is hard to separate from for a minute because it's all happened. But can you go back yeah. to that moment where like prior to that and just talk about like, where did that leave you with your business and how did you get through, you know, you've got your own health issues going on. You, you've got a partner that's leaving you. How, how are you keeping, are, are you still working? Did you take time off? Yeah. You, like, what's your deal? I mean, I was off over like some rich days. girl who's got like a bajillion dollars to take like a few months, right? No, no, not even close. Uh, we're a small business. So, I mean, we have a clientele of probably about, you know, 15 teams on average. Uh, and then when the staff left, that made things really tough. But, you know, the way that I saw it at the time was just that January is a big month for us in inside sales. Uh, you get a lot of teams and, and agents calling because it's the beginning of the year. I just had to have some immense faith that I was going to be okay, you know, and um, just being there and answering the questions and dealing with it and not abandoning what I set out to do was very tough. I had to stay very centered and compartmentalize everything that was going on. And I think in terms of when my dad got very sick, the, the idea of compartmentalizing the dramatic stuff and that the stuff, the dramatic stuff doesn't matter at the end of the day, the stuff that, you know, goes on between people, the disagreements, the whatever, look, you can do whatever you want to do. And if it doesn't work out, you, you tried it, you did your best with a partner or whatever, you know, and it doesn't work out. It doesn't mean that person's a bad person. It doesn't mean it needs to get personal. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. It doesn't even mean that you have to stop your relationship with them. You just have to realize when, you know, when you need to take the reins and when you need to take the reins, take the reins, you know, and just go with it. Just go with your gut. And, and I don't know, I just have this belief that the universe is going to, you know, I co-create things with the universe. So if I put it out there and I decide to do it, it will come. And it always does. I just, I push right through it. I don't know. So you're labeled as the person who's like medical, making medical decisions for your dad when he can't communicate for himself. Dad goes in yeah. and gives you that responsibility. You've, you've just come off of your own health issues. You don't have a partner anymore. You have mm -hmm. a father who is literally fighting for his life, which is a battle eventually lost and somewhere in there now you're probably what you're paying you're paying for your own bills you're paying some of his bills you're trying to keep a business afloat where i guess where i'm going with all this is look myself included it's so easy to go down the rabbit hole of well if you were me like it would be different right like you don't understand my shit because you're not me and yeah here you are in an unthinkable situation with just it's just a shit hand in that moment right and my question to you is how during a time when every 
every bone, every piece of most people's insides would just shut down and quit and be done. And like, I know for a fact, because we talked that you still got your ass back in the office, you serviced the client, you did that. How do you, first of all, how did you find the mind? Let's, let's answer that first. How did you find the mind frame to do that? Um, I think that there's two sides to this. One was that, you know, (laughs) I care a lot about my clients and um, whether we are able to accomplish the goals for them or not, we always try to end things with them on a good note. So uh, even if, you know, there, and to say that there weren't clients that didn't give us, you know, a problem during that time is just an understatement. There were our diehard clients that really knew me that really had worked with me were better than great. They literally, uh, I had campaigned, believe it or not, during this time for dad. I had a GoFundMe page. I think you actually donated, didn't you, James? You're a good man. Um, we had this fundraiser for him. We raised about $8,000 because we weren't sure if he was going to come home. He looked At one point, he looked like he was actually on the mend and he might come home. So we were trying to prepare for that um, by fundraising uh, it could go either way. And I, I just had to stay centered because everything was very fragile at that time because we didn't know what the results were going to be like. And in many ways, it still is very fragile, even with his, his passing. But at the time, you know, it's like the way I thought about it was if I'm not in business anymore, I can't take care of him. Like if he's really sick and he, he only ever made, you know, a base, like a $16 an hour, I think was all he was making, which is nothing for New York. I mean, that's like your, that's like your upstate. It's a little better than downstate, but it's still not a whole lot of money. Um, and so his funds ran out fairly quick. Uh, I just had to put myself in this position of if, you know, if it's all going to just, just fall down, it'll all fall down. But the worst thing that I could do um, during the time that he's struggling is not try. Cause I saw him struggling so hard with his life, just try, like to watch, not just what I was going through, but I took myself out of my own equation and watched what he was going through. And it put me in the space of, you know, he's losing his leg. He's losing his, I, I like he's lost his ability to talk. He's lost his ability to do anything, to move, even raising his arms were hurting him. I mean, every day it was just people poking and prodding him and waking him up and how scary that must've been. And in a way, when I saw his presence be in such a debilitated state, I thought to myself, how dare I even bitch? Like, I know, I know that that's crazy, but how dare I even bitch? And if he gets out of there, I better have my shit together for him, you know, for him. And, and the clients, I would tell the clients up front what was going on. If they joined me during that time, I would tell them like, you know, I am going through something with my dad. I do have to have some periodic absences sometimes. And I put in place a new team within a matter of weeks, like maybe only a couple of weeks and just told them like the emphasis is on, you know, I, I think I didn't sleep for three months. I think that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> I think that's pretty much what happened. I just Having I just laid away. Freeze because yeah. you already know what the sleepless nights are like, right? It's uh it's unbelievable. 
Yeah. But I, I think when I saw his condition, I said to myself, how dare I, you know, yeah. how dare I not try using yeah. a greater force to drive, to drive you and, and taking the excuses away. And like, you're working for something other than you, which is really powerful. And, you know, I guess, um, I guess something that seems to be a constant plague in this business is like separation between, you know, personal and business, because it's so easy to be a slave to the work, right? Because yeah. for some of us, it becomes an adrenaline rush and, and we're just workaholics by nature. I'm kind of wired that way myself. And, and sometimes I have to really, I need someone else to kind of sock me in the face and tell me to shut it off for a minute. But usually that's just because I've, you know, you've got normal life happening and you don't have all these other things like, you know, what you had on your plate. So I imagine there's a big tug and pull there, right? Because when dad's in the state that he was in, you want to probably be there, I presume, as much as you can. But you know, you have like financial responsibilities. And I know we don't all want to be a slave to the money and we're not taking it to the grave one day when we all get there. But I guess the point is, is money's the great facilitator. Like the bills do have to be paid. Like that stuff has to be done. So how, like, I, I guess I just, I'm trying to, I'm just, I, I so admire like how you handled all of it. And I just, I, I guess I want the listeners to understand that like, there's no perfect careful balance. And I'm wondering, and I, I don't want to make assumptions. So correct me if I'm misspeaking, but like, I presume in one of the darkest and shittiest moments of, of your 27 years, you had some really serious decisions to make that involved both personal and business. And I'm wondering, I know the drive, like, you know, you can't imagine where dad's at, but like, how did you clear your brain? Like, so that you could actually provide the service to your client in a moment where you're fucking frazzled like that. You know, I was having this discussion with my cousin yesterday because I told her, you know, during all of this, it's very hard to walk into sales when you have all of this going on because you have to put a, a, your actor's hat on, you know? You've got to go play your part. And I think if anybody's getting into acting, I think sales is like a fantastic way to start that because you really... I mean, for me, it's like the Academy Award goes to because I, I don't know. There's two levels to this, though, I will say. I think that sometimes the work was an escape from the hospital, you know. I think there was a part of that that it was really my only semblance of normalcy was being at work and trying to get work done, um, which there are times where I had to leave. I didn't have a choice. The emergency times, there were times that I had to take phone calls to make a big decision. If it was the hospital calling, you know, I, I would drop everything and pick up. But if it wasn't dire and I would make it clear to the staff, like, look, I'm up the road. Literally the good news is my office was like literally the other side of Elmwood, which is the other side. Strong hospital is on one side of Elmwood. My office was on the other side of Elmwood. So it was literally a straight shot which I don't think it could have been more convenient. And I'm so glad I became an entrepreneur in one sense, because I could not have been there for him had I been working for a corporation and the way that I needed to be there for him. I could not be there for him if I was working a nine to five. But the goal here, I think for me 
you know, I try to hold a lot of integrity in my business. If something doesn't go right, a campaign doesn't go right, I'll refund the money. But, you know, and, and not really blink twice at it. I, I mean, you know, if they want 50% back or something, like, fine, take it, go. And I think that the important thing here is that when the complaints were rolling in about my absence, to not take that personally and to understand that business will always bounce back and that that's not about me. That that needs to go. If it needs to go, it'll go at its own time. I'm not saying that I'm jumping on and just throwing all my money over there tomorrow if they're unhappy. You know, I tried to resolve it in the best way I could by telling them, hey, this is the situation. I'll more than make it up to you if you stick around. Some of the agents let me do that. Some of them didn't. The ones that didn't, you know what? If they don't understand the gravity of my situation, they don't belong with me anyways. That's the way I see it. Because, and you know what else? I understand that their situation is not about me. My problems are not their problems. Sometimes their problems they think are my problems. But that's that's on them, you know. Yeah. You know what? Actually, that's really that's actually really powerful shit right there because, you know, the 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 big quote is like you know you're the you're the average of the five people that you surround yourself with, right? And yeah. What's amazing is not only is that present in our in our personal lives, but on a professional level, especially with your clients. You know, people say, "Oh, you don't always pick your clients; your clients pick you." But yeah. I don't know. Is there something to say for the fact that we can pick our clients? We can get rid of the people that we don't want to work with. And like, there's a point, even when you're, you're starving for the money where it's like, you know what? Screw this. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not a slave to you. Like I'm an, I don't need the money so bad that I'm going to sacrifice who I am and, you know, live in misery and walk through shit for you. Like I've got my own bag of stuff, like being selected for the, the people that you want to work with is, is also who you're choosing to surround yourself with. And, how much stress you take on. So did you find that well, I think, time you also find clients? I think that um, in the time that, he, lucky for our family, that in the time that he was going through all of this happened to be my busiest time in of the year. Because as much as it was stressing me out that we had so many clients, it was also a relief financially because you know what, at the time I had enough to kind of go, all right, well, I'm going to take care of him first. And then if somebody has a problem with my absence, I would just give, give the money back. I would do whatever I could. But if I couldn't take any more, I couldn't take any more. If I couldn't do, if I, if I didn't for once fulfill on something I promised, which is not my goal, but if it, if it came down to that, I would try to do what was in the best interest of both parties by, you know, at least giving a partial partial money back if they're dissatisfied just tell him to go away because I really didn't have time to deal with the complaints like I was really in a position where either they were going to be with me and they would be with me through the long haul or if they were going to give me the complaints I didn't have my money was worth so much less than my time at that point that I just literally like was like fine go you know like I go I I don't have time see ya you know now like has that has that like has this horrific experience i mean has there been positive that's come out of it and like has there been a perspective change in like the value of money over time and and uh or vice versa like have you have you changed anything in the way that you approach your business i think the interesting thing about it was that no matter what was going on and no matter what was transacting i was able to hold my center and still continue to not only uh, have good months, but have some of the best months that I've had 
in general because it, it just I didn't I was so to the point of like not caring what anybody else thought that I, I was actually in a way liberated from worrying about the small stuff worrying about clients worrying about what they thought of me worrying about all the little shit that didn't really make a difference and I realized that a lot of the other baggage that was holding me down throughout the last couple of years of me not being you know not being not successful I was successful but I wasn't I haven't been successful to the level that I wanted to and I realized during that time that it's because I let all the other stuff bother me so much you know I'm plateaued at a little over six figures because I would not let go of some of the crap that didn't matter and I wouldn't pursue and wouldn't continue to hire and I would hold myself back from doing things on the basis of I, I cared so much what everybody else thought of me. But here it was purely transactional and not personal because personal was so clearly defined that work was so impersonal. I actually managed it the way I think it was best managed, super, super impersonally. Just being like, you know what? I am going to do my job. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. If it's not good enough for somebody, see you later. You know, and that is just how it rolled. And I think at the end of it, I really saw the clients that understood, stood with me, and the ones that we came out the other side on, you know, they're now really starting to reap the rewards of me being back in full swing because it's like I'm titanium now. Like everything I went through made me, I don't want to say indestructible, but it, it really puts everything that you get concerned about during the day in such a perspective that you only have, you have, there's no amount of time that you're guaranteed on the planet. Right. You know, dad was at lunch with us and then dad was pretty much knocked out of the world. Right. And to watch how he persevered, no matter how bad it got. And he, even when we were like, he got a secondary infection, which is how he ended up passing away, was he got another super bacteria that he caught in the hospital. And, you know, it was clear to us that he wasn't going to make it. It was clear to us. But even when we took all the machines off him, his heart pounded away for hours, James. Like, hours there was nothing we were going to do against this bacteria the infection wasn't going away he was still going to pass away it was either that day or the next day or it was going to happen right but he was still pounding I remember with my uncle we were standing there looking at his monitor going man that guy i mean he just had heart right until the end he didn't want to go he loved his life mm. and i think that had he known how short his life was going to be, uh, I think he would have done. I think the sad part for me was he didn't do what I think he hoped he had would have done with his life. You know, like I don't think he got everything he needed to get out of it. And that's he was driving to stay here because I think he realized like when it hit him, like. You know, I think part of the drive to stay put was that, oh, I don't have, I'm, I still have business here. You know, I still have more to do. I, like I'm going this early, you know, like it was kind of like that. And 
also a fear. There's tremendous fear there. And I think that for me personally, I will never again be faced with, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not going to lose people. I'm not going to say that there's not going to be scary endings. You always think that, you know, somebody, you never know when somebody in your family is going to go and you always anticipate you're going to lose your parents. But this wasn't like, I was literally like the only person on the planet hoping to God that it was cancer. <laughs> like, why isn't it cancer? Jeez. You know, cancer, there's a, there's a roadmap for, even if it's the most severe kind of cancer, maybe we'll get an opportunity to have a conversation. And maybe that sounds really like, I don't know, uh, harsh and crass of me to say, but just, you know, it was so sudden. It was so much at once. Anyone that yeah. should go look up what necrotizing fasciitis is and just, yeah. I mean, I mean, you'll see pictures that your eyes are going to turn from quickly. It's uh, yeah, horrible. It is, it is absolutely horrible. Uh, it is. Yeah. So we obviously work in a business that's like not sensitive to our personal life. Not at all. <laughs> you know, the contracts, you know, I know you're not the one selling houses, but you're, you know, you're, you're working with, with teams that are. And I'm yeah. fascinated by the idea that you can, that you during this time were able to like separate this whole, like you separated yourself and you, you were like, whatever, like I'm not taking this personally, like, you know, and we're just going to move forward. But in a business that heavily relies on relationship building and adding the personal back, how did sure. you have space to do that? Not with your clients, but with the prospects that they gave you to work on. How did you reinsert that humanity in such a tough time? Um, like, you mean like with the sellers? Like, how was I with the sellers? Or like, just... For example, you're calling on, you know, you're calling on an expired or you're calling on a FISBO and, and uh, somebody answers the phone. Like, you may have been able to take out, you know, your, your personal stuff with your relationship between your actual clients, but how did you reinsert your humanity i guess back into those into that dialogue with the prospects with so much going on in your life and by the way before you answer that let me back up for a minute folks who are listening the reason i'm asking the question is because most of us aren't dealing with what steph had to go through and Sometimes it's about having a, a really crappy night with your spouse and you're trying to brush off that argument. Sometimes your kids are driving you nuts or sometimes, you know, you're financially strapped and you're having a hard time letting go of your personal circumstances so that you can provide the service that you ultimately need to so that you can be the human that other people want to engage and interact with. So I'm asking this question because being able to handle your personal situations personally and not let your stresses and negativity in your outside life impact your ability to communicate in your profession is it's fucking hard. And Steph had to figure this out in a very challenging space. And I'm just curious, did you find the way that you handled your agents you know, and your clients different than you, like, how did you get your mind right to be on the phone with the prospect? I think because everything was so tenuous with dad that we didn't know from one minute to the other, if he was going to be there. So it was like, 
I had, like I said before, I had to prepare for everything. And one of the things I prepared myself for when I left the hospital every day was that he might pass and I might not be able to be there. And wow. I had to be okay with it because on some level, spiritually, I, I don't, I'm not really super religious or anything like that, but I think that everything happens for a reason. And if it was his time to go when I was outside the hospital trying to do work for us, it was his time to go, mm -hmm. you know, and it was something I got very real with myself about because some of my family was, I want to say like living in la la land about his condition and, you know, kind of, you always hope for the best, but like you got to prepare yourself for what the inevitable might be. And I just took all that off of myself and just squared up with me and said, listen, like, this is what it is. If he goes and I'm not there spiritually, I would hope he would know that I was out trying to do what was best for us as a group. Right. And that released me from guilt, which I think a lot of people would feel um, from being away from somebody in their immediate family who was going through that. Uh, the other thing was that when I would get to work, I like literally envisioned myself dropping the baggage at the door. Like, you know that phrase that they say? I had an image in my head that I was leaving that there. Good for you. Because when I came in, not only do I have to be boisterous and excited with the clients, but I also have to be a good leader. And in being a good leader, uh, like my cousin had started to work with us and you know, I care a whole lot about what happens to him and he cares a whole lot about what happens to our company and just making sure that I was the leader that he needed me to be also, you know, I just prioritized. I dropped the baggage at the door. I came in and I came into work. And when I would work, I would lose myself in my work until the phone rang from the hospital. Right. And then I would deal with it accordingly, you know? So we're talking a lot about mindset and just, I love, I love the imagery of just like leaving that at the door. That's incredible. I like left it outside and shut the door on it. Like I just was boom, it's gone. And losing myself in my work, it was a relief to be able to talk about something other than, other than what was going on at the hospital for me personally. I don't know if it's like that for everybody else. But then also in turn, when you're building rapport with somebody and a lot of people are selling their homes because they lost their spouse or somebody got sick or, and I use, pers I draw at work personal experience to relate to people a lot. And I think it made me bond better with certain sellers, you know? Sure. Sure. You know, I, um, I'll shift a little bit. I'll tell you a quick story about something that that happened to me at the end of this past year. I was helping my my folks buy a place, and um, unfortunately, the seller, one of the seller, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Uh, he'd been battling it for quite some time, several years, in fact, and it was kind of the the end of the rope. And we were dealing with we were dealing with an agent i think who was doing the best you could do under the circumstances you get it's easy to get very personally connected when you're in the middle of a real estate transaction with someone that's dying and going back to the the impersonal side of this is that we're in a business that's not sensitive to our personal life the contracts don't care 
about what's happening in your personal life. The black and white says that these are the time frames. This is how it's going to be. And unless you have in writing and agree that like, oh, well, unless the seller's dying of stage four cancer, then uh, all these things change. Unless there's like something in there that states that you just have to keep on going. So we had to start asking questions Has the because we were very concerned is the seller uh, that he was going to die during escrow. And we were asking questions like, would you be willing to inform us as to whether or not the seller is intent on passing at home in the event, in the event that like he uh, goes before. Yeah. Like hospice. Like, is that like hospice care? As opposed to like going to the hospital or do they have family members close by that he could, you know, go to their house or whatever. And I know the laws are different in every state, but in California, you have to disclose the death for uh, up to three years. And, you know, so that kind of thing becomes important, especially if the client you're representing isn't planning on staying there for that amount of time. Right. So it just, I guess the point is, is it was definitely a strange set of circumstances and the constant excuse that I got from the other agent when we had things that were time sensitive in the contract was, well, you're going to have to be more patient. My client's dying. and. I know this might sound really insensitive of me, but it literally got to the point where I had to have kind of that, you know, that, that heart to heart talk and just say, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm sensitive. The buyer's sensitive. We're, we're all very sympathetic and understanding of what's happening on, on a personal level. And unfortunately we're in the middle of a real estate transaction that involves multi-million dollar uh, in exchange of monies between different parties. And this isn't a small gig. And while many are not of the belief that life revolves around the money, and I'm in many ways not either, the, the fact is, is that we're talking about life savings here. We're talking about like real shit, you know? And it wasn't my folks' problem or fault that this man was at this point in his life. And as sad as it may be, the contracts aren't sensitive to it. And I think that's something that as, as agents or industry professionals or just human beings in general, we forget that like life doesn't stop. So like, there, it's, what's the saying? Like, it's never a good time for a bad thing to happen, right? It's always shitty when like something shitty happens. <laughs> like, It's never like, oh, actually, uh, if you could push that back to like Thursday, that'd be great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Hey, God, uh, I'd like to reschedule my death if that's okay. Uh, can we postpone it till, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really ready to do it this month. Maybe next month. Why don't we talk to talk, you know, like, I mean, like, yeah, taxes, taxes are coming up. If you could pull it forward, maybe a day, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Right before April 15th. <laughs> Get that out of the way. Uh, let's be done. But you know, I think, I think it's crazy because the industry is just full of excuses. And I think that's, I think this is like such a, a cool opportunity on our first ramble session together uh, in general. It's just to talk about those excuses and like letting go, you know, and, and understanding that like, our little nuances in the things that we do like are what make us unique. But like at the end of our life, at the end of our road, like we're all going to experience uh, for the most part, death and, and life and love and suffering and financial success and financial pain and, and fear and, and hate and whatever you, you, for the most part, we fill our bag with the same old shit, but yeah. some- on the way in the middle of life happening to us while we're also trying to make money, we forget that like, we're not unique in that situation. Like, 
That's just life. And we have to handle it. Well, you know what? There was a third thing that I had to do that I didn't talk about. And the third thing was I had to make sure when enough was enough that I took time for myself mm. amongst the chaos. Yeah. And there are so many times in my business life that I've had to do this. But with the personal situation, it was definitely a little bit trickier. You really have, have to, and I mean have to. I don't care who's bitching. I do not care. I do not care about how high priority that client is. When it's time to be off, be off. You know, yeah. schedule it. Make you do it or you will lose your freaking bananas. You know, yeah. you will lose your sh- I mean, there were times where in the middle of it, of the day, I could feel the, because this is where I get into the whole, you need to listen to uh, somebody like Carolyn Meese and talk about the energy and what it does to your health. Because I could feel the cortisol in my body from the stress of all the energy and everything that is coming down on me. And even still, even still, because actually I'm dealing with another situation. His girlfriend is essentially squatting in his property, which is actually my estate now because I'm the administrator of his estate. They weren't married and she was only with him for a couple of years. And there've been times in that dynamic dealing with her that we're not, I'm not dating her and I'm not, it's the same thing. Like what you're saying with your client, like I'm not dating her. I'm not in, and I'm sorry, my dad passed. Look, I'm sorrier than anybody that my dad passed, but at the end of the day, that estate needs to be settled. Unfortunately, she can't live there. She wouldn't change the locks on me. And, you know, this was last week. Is she really? <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm joking again. Um, this was last week. So she changed the locks on the estate. And here I am dealing with my loss, trying to catch up the clients. And I have a third factor that he's got his Corvette and a motorcycle and all this stuff that I have no access to. And <clears throat> she is just creating a whole other dynamic where I could feel in times that he was in the hospital and times with her, just all this manifestation of the stress where I ended up needing to step away from my day, all of the day. And I mean, like closing out, not answering my phone, not answering emails, not participating, leaving the staff to do what they needed to do at work. And going to do something for myself, you know? A lot of this podcast is inspired by the idea that we can be better as an industry by taking care of ourselves personally. So working on the personal development helps the professional growth, right? And I think you're Mm -hmm. tapping into something that's actually really, I mean, this is actually really personal to me too, because I've, gosh, it's so easy to do the, hey, I got to grind and, and, all I've got is time to give. And, you know, in a moment where the money is thin, like you just, you give as much time as you can and more time equals more money. And it doesn't, you, you know, you're tapping into something huge where the, the time, to, more time given is not always more money made, especially when it's a pretty short drive to crazy. And you gotta, you gotta have that, that mental vacation, dude, you're spot on. I mean, I see these, these young guys I was coaching here locally and they left the team that 
end up leaving the team because of the broker they were working for. They end up leaving and going to a different firm. Um, but I, I see some of these younger guys. And you know what? As much as I love Grant Cardone, and I do love Grant Cardone, one of the things that I kind of can't stand is the idea that, you know, grind, hustle, uh, 10x until you've, you've dropped dead. I mean, you know, like, I think that there's, a little bit of nonsense in that because I, I am terminally lazy. I'm going to tell you that right now, terminally lazy. That is, I would describe myself that way. Um, the greatest thing about being terminally lazy is that I will find an easier way to do something because of how I am, you know, like, so, so if you give me something, like if you, if you give me something very, very difficult to do, Chances are, because I don't want to do it, I will find a better way to do it than you, because <laughs> that is just how I am, right? And my cousin, when he first started to get into prospecting, you know, and I've told this to other staff members of mine, that your attitude when you walk in the door in the morning means more to your day than you slaving for 12 hours on the phone. I can tell if you're having one of those days. I had one girl, she was staying after five o'clock one evening making calls and she had had a shit day. She didn't get anything from eight o'clock until four, no appointments, nothing. Right. And I looked at her and I said, dude, cause I could see it. I could see, it's like, I could see it's I have this weird ability to see people's energy. And when it's like starting to spiral out of control and like her energy was starting to snowball and <clears throat> she was having a bad morning, that bad morning turned into a bad afternoon. Her idea that she was going to stay until f after five o'clock to get her day better is ridiculous. You, you should have done the things you needed to do at night to get yourself ready for that next day. And if you're having a bad day, I had my cousin in a couple weeks ago and he had some personal stuff going on at home. I looked at him and I said, go home. He goes, why? I go, your attitude's bad. You're not going to do well today. I said, get out. I'm the only CEO in town that says, you look like you need a personal day because I'll be damned if you come into my office with a bad attitude and your shit spiraling out of control and you're going to drag the next four people that you sit next to down, or you're going to drag me down. Don't do it. Get out. You're a virus. Get out. Yeah, <laughs> come back. That's a, that's a big thing is knowing when to, knowing when to cut it. Um, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk says that the, the secret to, one of the big secrets, I should say, he's got a lot of it, but one of the big secrets to business is being quick to fire. And yeah. I would say on a, on a different way, you know, being quick to push people away, being quick to like tackle and play defense. Like it's really easy. And in many ways it's necessary for us to invite practices into our business and people into our lives and people into our business to test the waters, to try it out. But we we're, we're often too long in, pushing the bad away because we like telling the story. It gives us the cop out. It gives us the excuse and the bullshit to say, well, <laughs> that's because, you know, of X, Y, Z, instead of being like, no, nah, I had the best week ever because I actually stopped the bullshit from coming in and I got rid of it. I literally did that to Rudy and Rudy stopped it. Like I, I was like, Rudy, you having a bad day? You got to go. And the thing is, is that our job on the phone, if you cannot put the actor's head on, and you cannot get into your character, essentially, when you're pitching somebody over a cold call or whatever. 
you will get back. This is where we co-create our universe, okay? Because as hard as you want to work, if your energy is bad, the universe will deliver you bad energy back. That is absolutely, in my eyes, a law in my industry. You come in with a bad attitude, you will get nothing. Put bad in, get bad out, period. And it doesn't mean that person... It doesn't mean they need to get fired in my eyes. It just may mean they got to go today. You know, they well, got to go. I do it with my son. That's, that's what I mean, by the way, is like, you know, Gary Vee, he talks specifically about hiring and firing, but a lot of it is really about yeah. knowing when to put a stop to something that is negative and like to cut it. Let, let's, uh, let's revisit that later, you know, or why don't you go get yourself in check? Why don't you go look at the ocean? Why don't you go take a minute, you know? Plenty of times, James, in my life that I have done that to my, myself. And the days that I have done that to myself will turn into weeks that are more productive than that one day I took off, you know, versus if I never police myself in that way and I let that attitude continue, I, I cut that off with myself a lot. Like, you know, I've had obviously really hard times grieving over my dad and I think one of the things that I try to exercise with it is I allow myself time and space to grieve but when I'm done I put like a bit of a limit on it mm-hmm. how long am I going to allow myself to be in the funk an hour two hours what's enough you know and sometimes it'll come on I'm not going to say it's not going to just come on because sometimes it just comes on and you, you can't do anything about it but I try to exercise a muscle of just policing myself for how long I'm going to allow myself to be in that place yeah. of, of feeling sorry and darkness. And this, look, you're going to have those emotions. You're going to grieve. I think I went through the seven stages of grief during this entire thing, like eight times or nine times or 20. I don't know. I grieved. I literally grieved over when they amputated his leg. I grieved over when they were going to amputate more. I grieved when he was re-diagnosed with another super bacteria, I grieved the night he went in there. We didn't know. I mean, it was like, it was insane. It was like every five minutes you were in a funk. And there was a time where I would tell my mom, she would call, she'd want to talk about dad. And I would go, no, we can't talk about it now. I love you, but you guys are divorced. Go, go ride your horse or something. I can't talk to you about it now. You know, go, go have a nice ride on one of the horses and come back to me later with a story about something completely different, you know, because I was sick to death of talking about it for a while. And, you know, I think that policing myself allowed me to maintain my center in everything, everything, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you have any, like, I don't know, lighter shit that we should ramble about? You got anything else? Leadership? Pressing in your life or, or present? Like, like, let me, like, here's a good one. Let me ask you this. Do you have like, a, yeah. like there's, you talk about you're, you're pretty spiritual, right? So when you're like, yeah. from, when you're away from the work and you're like, or you're taking that moment to like recollect yourself, do you turn to like a meditation app? Do you like, like, what's your piece? Like, how do you find that shit? I, two you know, I think that's a misconception about meditation is that meditation has to be the thing that you do in a room where it's all dark and shit and Yoga you listen. And all that. Yeah. And you listen to nothing but ohms for like 
an hour and then somehow you're supposed to come out and be Buddha. You know, like it's, it's, it's that meditation for me is any activity that I allow my spirit to do its, its journeying, you know, like to figure out anything that I want to figure out in my life. Whether I do that, I play guitar, I play drums, um, I also play bass. Sometimes I lose myself in the music. Uh, sometimes listening to music does that to me, not just playing it, but sometimes just listening, going on walks and going to the park with the dog, riding the horses. That's a big thing for me. You know, it's, um, it allows me the time to clear, to clear it all and to get, I think not enough meditation is like another word for learning how to be alone with yourself and be with the universe. Right. And, Whatever facet or avenue you have to do that with, that's your place to, to get to get to know yourself. Allow time not just for yourself, but to get to know yourself and what you really want out of life. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, dude, yeah. this is sick. And I appreciate you coming on. I think the I think the big message I want the listeners to get today is just we've, we've all got our excuses and we've all got our bag of shit that we're carrying around. And Steph has been through some, some pretty painstaking stuff lately, as you can tell. And, uh, thank you sincerely. Thank you so much, uh, for, for opening up and sharing about it because I, I think that, I think that it can bring people that, that feel like they're stuck in a rut. Uh, in, in a, in a self-employed industry, right. Where you are, you work for you, you call the shots, you're the CEO, you still got to run your business like a business, but you got to remember that businesses are driven by human beings and the business that we're in, we're serving human beings. And we all have our baggage here. We all got our excuses. We all got our stuff. But like Steph says, you got to leave it at the door and you got to leave it at the door for your own sake. And you've got to also make sure that you're taking time for yourself. If you can't leave it at the door and and find find a way to release that somewhere else so that you can actually function at your highest level because i i think one of the best things i got from you uh and i say one of because you dropped a lot of great value today but i think one of the greatest things is it's better for you to just leave and go get yourself back in track than it is for you to sit here and work like a 12-hour day instead of an eight just to try to make up for your shitty attitude because it's not going to help you um so i i mean Gosh, if you have any parting words or closing thoughts, uh, share them now. If you want to just tell our guests how to get a hold of you, how to find you, how to how to bother you and tap into that brain, feel free, and then uh, we'll wrap things up. Yeah, man. Um, you know, first, James, I want to say thank you for having me. Um, I think that for anybody that's out there, you know, if you think that my story is unique, it is in the degree of what my dad had as a disease, but it's a reality for you as a small business owner. You will deal with something of this magnitude if you're in business long enough and you will have to figure out how you deal with it. And, you know, I think that your energy and what you put out there is what you will get back. Um, and, and you know what? People can tell. People can tell, you know, what your energy feels like to them. And it will, uh, it will either generate for you the the type of money and the type of clients and the type of you know people you want to surround yourself with because you're you're 
attitude and your energy is good. And we can't be, we can't be good a hundred percent all the time. We're not inhuman. We're not robots, you know, uh, but deal with yourself in the times that you know, you're not and take the time out for yourself. It'll do you wonders. I promise you the next day you will come back. You will be working twice as good and don't do it forever. Don't allow yourself to stay in a two week funk. That's not what I'm getting at. I mean, but handle yourself for a moment in time, give yourself the permission to do that, set boundaries with other people when you are in that space for yourself and take it, you know, take it. So you can, you can be the best you, you can be when you are on. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Tell you can get a hold of me by the way. You want me to do that? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> unless, <laughs> you can, unless you can hear from our listeners. Um, I know that everybody can find you on infinityappointments.com, uh, which is, yeah. do you have a social media handle or a Facebook page or how else can people get a hold of you? Uh, Facebook.com slash infinity appointments. Uh, you can also, uh, get a hold of me, you know, via the office phone. If I'm not there, it will leave me an email message. I will see it and get, get to you within 24 hours. But my number at the office is 518-240. One one six one. You're awesome. Well, thank you again for rambling with me. I know all the rambles are unstructured. We've got uh, no particular uh, agenda that we follow on the ramble sessions. It's just all whatever comes out. It could be a, I don't know. It could be the beer talk. It could be whatever. Sometimes we get into the personal stuff and the uh, the sensitive subjects. But uh, I think it comes with great reward, and uh, it only comes with people like you, Steph, who are willing to share it. So thank you so much for uh, for coming in. We've been talking to Steph Sanzata, uh, and we are going to wrap things up. I'm your host, James Hoff. You've been listening to a reroute ramble session. You remember something before we head into the weekend. Real agents work. You need to be one of them. Get out there and kick some ass. Thanks, guys. Hey, Reroll listeners, I just wanted to thank you so much again for tuning in and remind you today's episode is very specially dedicated to our guest, Steph, and her father and her commitment to raise that growing awareness for this terrible disease called necrotizing fasciitis. If you go to reroll.com forward slash Steph, again, that's spelled S-T-E-P-H, you can get access to her show notes and right there in big giant letters, you can get a link directly to the National Necrotizing Fasciitis Foundation website and you can learn everything that you need to know about this terrible disease and how you can possibly contribute to a solution if you feel so inclined. And I just wanted to say thanks again so much for your continued support. You guys are awesome. What a great way to end the week. Don't forget to let go of those excuses and have an awesome weekend.